So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin, here with uh, my good friend and yours, David Hampton. Uh, David, how long have we been friends? (laughs) That will date us. Um, Yeah, I had somebody ask me that earlier this week, and I think it's around 20 years uh, Uh, that we've really been in relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How could that be when I'm only 30 years old? How did that happen? Uh, (laughs) I know. I know. That's like, we must've gone to kindergarten together or something. I don't know. (laughs) Well, tell me how has Uh, the week gone? uh, I I have had a great week and uh, an interesting week. I have had um, about three different uh, reps for treatment centers uh, make time with me this week. They often, uh, I'll get a call from different people, different providers that want to make sure people who do what I do know about their services and things. And they come in or they Zoom with me from somewhere if they're out of town. And, um, and it's been really diverse. We've had everything from uh, you know, really high net worth individuals, uh, uh, people that are, you know, kind of aiming at those at those folks, entertainment and so forth to, uh, you know, a, a group here in Nashville that uh, really just is is targeting uh, helping musicians and creatives. And then another group that's just your garden variety, you know, 30 to 90 day program. Uh, but they're all really doing special, unique, good stuff uh for people in a in a specific uh niche so to speak and um you wow. know the, <laughs> the good thing is they all you know the ones that come in person they usually bring me something like you know crumble cookies or uh some <laughs> kind of you know five daughters donuts or something from one yeah. of these local nashville places which will yeah, kill yeah, me yeah. uh but uh but it's great I, I had a really good week this week just exploring you know, ways that I can partner with uh, um, and refer with uh, some of these uh, real specific um, providers. So it's been cool. What uh, I, I hear there is some exciting news in, in your camp this week. Yeah, there absolutely is. And uh, kind of related. It, it, uh, God willing and the creek don't rise and the planets align sometime later today, uh, we will close on the purchase of the first piece of property, uh, the first house that Samson House has ever owned. So Samson House is the nonprofit organization that we formed a few years ago to support the life of uh, the, the mission and work of the Samson Society. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we. Uh, we love doing weekend retreats and facilitating intensives 
in addition to the big retreats that we do, weekend stuff. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, a, f- a couple of months ago, a prime piece of property became available. And it's just uh, two blocks from my house in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, a block off Main oh, Street. Oh, man. Uh, a former group home, a uh, seven bedroom, three and a half bath house on two acres. Uh, and it uh, it came up for sale. And you know, <laughs> Allie and I prayed about it. We talked it over with the board of Samson House and uh, made the plunge and, and uh, made an offer and they took it. So we're going to close. <laughs> now we know wow. we got we got some reno- we have some <laughs> renovations that have to be made to make it uh, suitable for everything we want to do. Uh, and, uh, right now I'm starting, now I'm starting to wonder if we build it, will they come or, (laughs) you know, have I, Uh, yeah. Okay. Is it, is it actually going to be, is this, you know, I have this vision in my mind of what this place can be and what it can provide and what it can mean to uh, people around the yeah. Nashville and around the country. But h- how will we explain that? How will we present that? Uh, what's the best way to, so I'm really glad mm-hmm. that, uh, that you found the guest you found for this week's mm-hmm. yeah. uh, show. It's very timely. Uh, I don't well, know how many of our yeah, I was listeners say more are timely than either directly. one of us thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I guess th- that's enough of a setup. Uh, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back yeah. on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, I know you always keep your eye open for uh, you know any potential guest anybody who might be working directly or even tangentially in the field of recovery. And, uh, you know, that uh, attention to detail paid off this week. You found us a great guest. You want to introduce him? Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, This is Glenn Hadley, and Glenn's coming to us from Golden, Colorado. But Glenn is the Senior Vice President of Strategy at Dreamscape Marketing. And uh, what makes uh, Glenn's... um, time with us a little unique is that he's one of the few guests that we've had that's actually in the business of helping treatment centers uh, market themselves. And when I read his um, bio and about some of his workshops and some of the things he's doing out there, it piqued my interest because I thought that's a, that's a tricky <laughs> that's a tricky place to, to be. Uh, you know, because we've all had uh, the most wonderful and the least wonderful uh, stories, you know, told to us uh, about uh, people and residential experiences when it comes to uh, treatment for uh, various things. So, you know, Glenn, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. And thanks for making the time to be with us. Absolutely. Just uh, really, uh, really glad to be here with you guys today. Well, it's good to have you. Well, tell us, uh, Glenn, how did you happen to find your way into this field? Uh, I mean, I, I grew up just like everybody else wanting to be in this field, right? That's Yeah. I stumbled into this thing uh, just like most people. And, and uh, I, I started off as, a, as a, a kid wanting to be a professional tennis player. 
And, oh, wow. Uh, I, uh, I did that alcoholically from the first time I hit a tennis ball all the way up until I, uh, uh, was forced into retirement. And, uh, and, and uh, so I had no idea that this was going to be my path and, and that even this world existed. And that's, that's why I am so passionate about this thing is, uh, I, I, you know, I was a person of means that, that had, uh, every bit of information and resource at their disposal. And yet I had no idea this whole world of recovery, recovery services was even possible or out there. And uh, so I just kind of, just like most people, I stumbled into it uh, through my own addiction. And uh, thank goodness I did. Yeah. Well, do you mind sharing a little bit about your own recovery story, how that kind of led you uh, in and out of some of these things? Absolutely. Like, uh, I think, um, you know, just like many people, I, uh, uh, was, uh, uh, I had my own career, was doing my own thing and, and, um, uh, was very, uh, uh, successful at a, at a certain point. Um, and, and yet my addiction took hold and, and, uh, I struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction and, and, uh, and finally just got to a place where, um, I had lost everything around me and, and, uh, all the people in my life and was losing another, uh, professional career Avenue and, and, um, and I reached out for help and I, and I did what we find that 86% of, uh, of, of searchers do whenever they need help is I went to Google and, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I just didn't know. I like, I asked people around me and they were like, well, I don't, I don't know. And so I go to Google and, um, and I asked Google, I said, am I an addict? Right. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, I started down that journey and, and, uh, a couple of months later through that journey of asking Google what to do, who I was and where I needed to go. Um, I came across a place and, and, uh, ended up going to treatment and, um, it absolutely saved my life. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. I, I will say this, that, uh, the place that I went to treatment center to, they, uh, or to, I went to the treatment center. They, um, they advertised that they had golf and horseback riding and all this stuff. And it was this beautiful place. And, when I got there, that was not exactly the case. There was a, a, a putt-putt course that probably hadn't been tended to since they put it in 40 years before. And, uh, and they shipped the horse in there that, um, that probably needed the trainer to hold him up, you know? Uh-huh. And, and uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those things, but, but absolutely saved my life. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for that. The, the, the thing that really got me into this deal is that I, I will tell you, the people that I met there and, and the uh, care and, and service and, and just the, they, they jumped in with both feet to help me. I, I couldn't believe that. Uh, I've never had uh, the experience of having people like that, that were so willing to help that would just uh, dig into the trenches with me and, and sit with me and, and, um, kind of hold space while I was going through what I needed to go through. Um, and, and it, it hit me after that experience. It was like, how did I not know that there were so many people out there willing to care and willing to help whenever I was on the other side of that curtain? Uh-huh. And um, it just kind of got me into that. Uh, how can I help? How can I break down the barrier between those that are seeking help and those that need help and want to help others? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, I imagine that was a bit of a contrast if you'd spent all those years in a competitive environment and now you find yourself in a, you know, empathetic and cooperative environment. That's kind of a that, that that's kind of a whiplash there, isn't it? 
Well, I tell you, the, the biggest challenge was going from an, an attitude internally of I can do anything I want if I set my mind to it and work hard enough at it, right? And there, yeah, right. Uh huh. That was the the thing is like I I just thought I could work really really hard at getting sober and staying sober and and apply that same work ethic that that worked really well in tennis to that. And the problem is that didn't work. Um, yeah, it was the opposite. What the shift that took place um, in that is that. I'm really good at taking coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Like whenever I'm working with a coach one-on-one, I can take what that coach is giving me and translate it and make it actionable. And so when I I shifted into that mindset that everybody around me is my coach and I need to take direction from them and apply it, that's whenever it really took off. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, coming into it now from a perspective of, um, treatment centers that, uh, I assume know how to find you and, and your, your company, your business, uh, and helping them think about, uh, how they present themselves to, uh, people that need their help. Um, and having been a person who knows what it's like to look for that help. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the ways that you find is, uh, necessary to, uh, either steer people toward or or away from. Are there are there tendencies that that uh, treatment centers have? I mean, most of the time, we if they're like people, they have a certain idea of who they are, and then when you meet with a coach or a consultant, the consultant goes, "Ah, that's I don't know that that's exactly you know that might be who you were in your wedding pictures or something, but I don't know if that's who you are today." But is there something like that going on with treatment? I I think that you know. One of the things that, that's fascinating is that on on the business side of it, digital marketing and, and specifically your online presence for, for a treatment center is the only real direct line to the person needing help. Mm-hmm. Um, we have other channels, referral partners, things like that in the space. But the real the, the real opportunity to connect with the patient or the patient family is through digital means. And so um, we've discovered that, we've, uh, we've seen that over the last, you know, really 16 years as Google's um, really prol- proliferated, that, that has been the main channel. And so um, the tactics to reach the people that need help have changed over the years. One of the challenges today, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is that I think we have a, a real identity crisis in substance use treatment um, that, that too often each individual facility is trying to be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not saying that we, we don't have a responsibility to educate the, the patient or patient family. We absolutely do. And I think that uh, every um, uh, digital storefront or every, every website for a treatment center should offer education around what is the d- disease of addiction? Like, what is this about? What are, what is each person going through? And then also, what is the treatment for it? I think that's an important piece of it that needs to be uh, told on each website. The, um, the, the problem that we run into oftentimes is that every treatment center tries to be everything to everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And then it makes it puts the onus back on the patient to self-select and what's appropriate or not. And that's where I think we really are struggling with the identity crisis today. My, my personal belief in this is that and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've done um, workshops with different organizations across the country in this. And 
And I'll ask them this, the same thing. In the very first meeting, I say, uh, what do you sell? And, and, I, and I'd like to ask, you know, as we sit here thinking about it as a treatment industry, when we're talking about the acute phase of substance use disorder, what do we sell as an industry? And, and I get amazing answers. I get answers like hope, freedom, sobriety, a new way of life, a chance, uh, uh, you know, safety, all of these like really, really good answers. Um, and then I ask them, I say, what, uh, when was the last time that you got reimbursed for hope? And um, that's when we start to think, you know, that's, that's kind of the problem that we have right now is that we're as an industry, we're selling something that really is not ours to sell. And so I've been working with um, a number of providers and, and other groups uh, across the industry to, to clearly define our product and our service. Like, what do we sell and how do we treat the disease of addiction um, in, in a more authentic way? Um, and that's what's really uh, that's what I'm, I'm passionate about today, because I, I believe that in this industry, the, the industry of treating substance use disorder, that we sell two things. I think we sell. Um, the, a safe place for medical detox from drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And we sell a therapeutic alliance between the patient and that therapist or that provider at that facility. I think mm -hmm. those are the two things that we sell. And when we can clearly define that and get that down, um, Pat, then the whole world opens up. And then it's much easier to go talk to the family about um, what we're going to do in that acute phase um, and get us out of the business of selling sobriety later on. Because I, I don't think that's ours to sell in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, are there trends, Glenn, that you see in treatment um, that are that are happening? Um, yes, I, I'm excited to see the uh, the focus on um, uh, being more authentic and transparent in marketing. I'm I'm uh, excited to see. The uh, a, a more savvy operator coming into the space—that's exciting to me. Um, I, I, I'm also excited to see the different modalities and the ways that we um, try to connect with the patient. How that is becoming more celebrated now. Um, if in, if we look at it as we're, we're what we're really selling and what we're really um, offering the patient is that connection and that bond. It's going to give them another choice rather than getting stuck in the feedback loop of, uh, of addiction. Um, that connection and that bond can be established in many different ways. And I'm seeing that across um, uh, all the whole industry where we're starting to get really detailed and focused on how we establish that bond, how we create that, that connection with the patient. And, and sometimes it's through a very trauma-focused medical model. Sometimes it's through a wilderness mm -hmm. program. Sometimes it's through equine therapy, and sometimes it's through um, uh, a Native American sweat lodge experience. And all of those, I think, should be celebrated in ways to connect and establish that bond, that alliance with the patient that gives them a chance rather than them just being stuck in their addictive cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Am I hearing you uh, correctly, Glenn, uh, I think what I hear you saying is that the market, if we want to talk about all the untreated uh, addicts out there, is so broad and so enormous and so diverse 
that uh, it really makes sense. It, we're not restricting our opportunities when we aim for a niche. If we are, but if we, right, if we, if we actually will make it easier for people to make a decision and step in our direction if it's clear who we are and what we're doing and how we do it. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Because think about it in, in these terms, in the absence of um, real key differentiators in the space, yeah. the, the only thing that's left, if, if let's say that, that we take out the different modality that a treatment center is using to connect with the patient, we take out equine therapy, we take out wilderness, we take out um, uh, CBT or DBT or these different ways that we can, we take all that out. The only thing that's left to, to differentiate our treatment centers is mine is better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and we don't want to get into that argument because that's not true. The, the real yeah. thing is that if for a certain individual, this program would be more appropriate and more effective. Not that it's not better or worse. We could send a hundred patients to one treatment center and we're going to have a hundred different outcomes, not because the, the treatment that they're getting is varying or changing, but because we have a hundred different people going to it. And, and I would love to see the industry as a whole get better at, at telling the public who they're appropriate for and who they're not. So then we can also help the, the person that needs help go to the appropriate facility that's going to give them the best shot. Every person engaged in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for being involved. Maybe it's a husband or wife, a daughter or son, a mom or a dad, a best friend, a colleague, a job, a hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On the Positive Sobriety Podcast, we understand that the opposite of addiction is connection. And our mission includes building a strong community and working together to break the stigma of alcohol addiction. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at soberlink.com PSP. That PSP, of course, stands for Positive Sobriety Podcast. The link again is soberlink.com PSP. find, uh, Glenn, that the industry is going toward smaller, um, smaller facilities, like instead of trying to treat a hundred people, they're going to try to maybe cap out at 
30 or um, a more boutique sort of treatment, so to speak? Uh, is that a trend? I wouldn't say that. What I, what I would say is that most of the, um, the organizations or operators that we're working with are becoming more um, diversified in the, the services that they offer. Um, and so they are becoming more uh, targeted. Um, they are starting to differentiate themselves more. And, and I wouldn't say that it's driving it towards a smaller boutique style. What I, I would say is that even the large operators now, instead of having, you know, 40 or 50 different facilities across the country that do the same thing, they're diversifying their portfolio around the country to offer different um, ways to connect and ways to offer care. So one organization may have a wilderness program and may have a medical model or may have um, a, a very heavily equine-based program, right? They may have a trauma resolution program or uh, a mental health uh, primary or even like a mental health only um, that does not even address addiction. Um, they may have all of those in their portfolio. So they're diversifying their portfolio to address the need. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think also uh, what I'm hearing you say is that kind of the grandfather uh, of the, you know, treatment program, the 28 day, 12 step based program, while still uh, appropriate for some and effective for some is no longer by default the way treatment is done. Um. I wouldn't want to go so far as to, as to make that claim. I would say that it is one, a, a very, very effective modality. Unless yeah. I, was, I just want to be really clear with that. It is a very, very effective modality for a large number of people. Um, yeah. I, I think that um, where we're seeing the industry go is that we're realizing today that that is one way not the mm -hmm. only way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's being more, um, more talked about. I think the, um, the discussion today, which is very encouraging, is moving or shifting away from, you have to do it this way, this is the right way, this is the best way, to now, here are all of these different ways, the, all of these different doorways into recovery, and we get to walk with you on your journey through one of those doorways. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about that because there is no one size fits all. Um, and when we try to, to, to address the, um, a diverse patient base and say, you all have to fit into this scope. I think that's where we've uh, maybe missed the mark as an industry. Um, instead of saying the doorway is wide open, you can enter in any different way that fits you, that, that, um, uh, you connect with any one of those doorways. But we know as time goes on, the, the, um, they all lead into a recovery process that actually uh, tends to be very slim. The doorway is just wide. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. yeah I, I, I often recommend to the guys I'm walking with that they take a cocktail approach to recovery. In other words, uh, yeah, uh, you know, for me, my start was in 12-step recovery and I'm still uh, in some ways still involved and very grateful for that. But uh, I found that at, at different times during my recovery journey, uh, 
you know, trauma therapy has been very helpful. Uh, uh, talk theory has been very helpful. There's neurofeedback, which has been helpful. Um, I, how good do you think we are, the folks who are uh, offering treatment and help to the addicted? How good are we at playing well with each other? I, I think that... I think it's two questions. I, I, I really want to answer the first one of how good are we? Okay. Yeah. Cause that is a huge deal that, that I, I think whenever I, um, when I first got into the field and I would do family groups and I would talk to families about outcomes and, and, you know, we were using the only metric that we really had available at that time. And that was, um, five years sustained remission, um, from substance use disorders, so five years sobriety. And, and we were touting these, um, numbers that we, we had at this one particular uh, facility is like 36%. And we were saying that's a good thing. You know, 36%, five years uh, sustained remission is a, a fantastic outcome. And, and it, you know, I'm telling parents this and, and, and you see their face fall because to them, 36% is a low number. And I'm sitting there going, that's a really good number, you know, and, and, and it's because we're measuring the wrong thing that I, I really believe this field, we are really good. We are really good at the service that we provide. I think we're much, much better than 36%. And so that's why I want to, as an industry, I would love for us to start measuring how we connect with the patient. Let's measure the therapeutic alliance. Let's measure the metrics around uh, safety and detox. And, and uh, those, those are measurable services that we provide. And we can then have a real outcome for those things because we're so much better than 36%. So I think that as an industry, we are excellent at the service that we provide. So there's that. As far as playing with one another and, and, um, uh, and, and communicating with one another in the industry, in the field, um, I would say that I've never met another group of people that would work so hard for one another and give you the shirt off their back as I find in this field. Um, there, there is a, uh, a camaraderie amongst the, the, um, uh, the, the people that serve. And, and you see that it's a, it's a, um, it, it is definitely a family atmosphere. And, and look, families have their, you know, their, their trials and, and, uh, and arguments back and forth. But still, at the end of the day, I've never seen a group of people that work so hard for one another um, and, and for the patient. Um, so I do think there is, I think more so than most. And whenever I, I have the opportunity to work in some other, um, uh, verticals, so set, so to say, I, I do a lot of work in senior living and in dental and, and autism. And, and, um, there, there is a, uh, kind of a, a, a fun type of friendship and brotherhood in, in, in those verticals, but nothing like what we see here, here, it really is, um, family. And I see more people going through the fire with one another in this field than I do in any other. Mm. Mm. Wow. Oh. Well, um, Glenn, what about uh, payment, like places that are private pay versus that take, uh, you know, a wide variety of insurance? Um, what are some of the challenges in, in helping present uh, care for something that's like super high end and private pay? And then people that are, you know, just going to have to depend on whatever insurance covers. So uh, this is my opinion, and, and I'll just share, I, I want to be real clear, this is my opinion, is that I, I, I believe that 
in the lack of a clearly defined product and service in the space, then we're going to have wide ranges of um, the cost of it, right? Um, and and so uh, until we clearly define that and get a, a common measurement, I think it's going to be very challenging to have a, a one cost. Um, I I get the opportunity to, to talk to a lot of the um, the mergers and acquisition folks in this industry and. And there, there's been a movement towards consolidation in the industry for, for years now. But the, the big problem with that is that there's no clear bullseye. And so there, there's a move towards consolidation. They're trying to figure it out. But, but without that clearly defined product, the, the margins can, can shift widely in the space. And so the, the, the cost of the services can also shift widely in the space because there's no clearly defined uh, product that we're selling. Um, or service that we're selling. Uh, I do think that in the current state where we're at in the industry, I think that the, the, the payment or, the, or the, the level of payment um, works as a very good um, disseminator in the, um, in the types of clients that come in to make a healthy milieu inside treatment. Um, I, and I, this is just a personal belief of mine is I, I don't believe in scholarships um, in treatment, I think that it can hurt the uh, the therapeutic um, power in the milieu. That if you have, um, let's say, twenty people in the milieu, and all of them are coming from a certain socioeconomic background, and you put a person in that milieu that uh, comes from a very different socioeconomic background, it can um, almost uh, further the feeling of apartness and separateness, and maybe hurt. Not only the, the the one person that's coming from a different background, and it can also hurt the milieu that they're a part of. And so I think that right now the the, the financial separation it does um, uh, it can be a benefit to the milieu. I would love to see some standardization around that, so um, so we can get to more um, uh, I guess to a, a better understanding of that, rather than it just being a self selecting factor. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I have clients that come in and they'll say, um, you know, if they're going to go into uh, a residential program that we've agreed that that would be the best course for them. If they're of a particular financial means, their belief is that if they spend $60,000 for 30 days, they're going to get a better result than if they go spend $8,000 and are in a, you know, 30-day program uh, with people who are largely you know, being covered by insurance and so on and so forth. And um, how do you, how do you uh, speak into those kinds of dynamics? Yeah, I think that's the, that's part of the, the challenge that we have today is that, is that the truth? And I don't believe that's the truth. Right. I, I don't believe that a program that, that is $60,000 for 30 days is better than a program that's $8,000 for 30 days. Do I believe that uh, what here, here is what I believe. I believe that both of those programs do amazing work and it's up to um, uh, us as the industry experts to um, help clients or potential clients go to the program that's going to be more appropriate for them. Um, and because like for my, in my own treatment experience, for example, like the treatment center that I went to was not a, a $65,000 treatment center for, you know, uh, two weeks. It was not. And, and it was absolutely what I needed. I had been to other ones before that prior 
that were of a different type and, and it wasn't um, as effective for me. The one that was effective for me was once again, the one that they shipped a nag in to do equine therapy and had the putt putt golf course. It was absolutely what I needed at the time. It worked very well for me and, and for the other 85 people that were there, who knows, right? But I think that's the, the discussion to have on the front end. There, I don't believe there's one that's better than others just because of the, um, uh, the cost of it. I think it's up to us to find the appropriateness for that particular patient. Uh, I'm curious. You talked about – Do you I, find – We really – Go ahead, Dan. No, go ahead, Nate. Uh, yeah, I have a question. Um, you talk about how crucial it is for uh, the patient to form uh, a, a therapeutic connection, a trusting connection uh, with uh, a provider. And I think I heard you say that nowadays there are several different ways that that connection can be made. I'm wondering whether any of those can be made remote. I'm just thinking about all the telehealth that's happened since the onset of the pandemic. Uh, is yeah, are, are therapeutic, effective therapeutic connections being made over the freaking internet? I guess is what I'm asking. A absolutely, and once again, it's um, it, it is for a particular type of patient, right? That that works very well with um, Ashgar. Uh, uh, you know, our thousands of therapists that are doing private practice and telehealth still uh, all across the yeah. country that 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 is. And, and by the way, this this idea of the therapeutic alliance being the effector uh, of change is not just uh, unique to us in substance use treatment that in in, uh, in psychotherapy. This has been uh, practiced since the 80s. I mean, we've known that. Sure. And um, and so this, this has been done before, um, you know, even recent history. But I have seen it be very effective, uh, and, and I know that it is. Once again, it, it is for a particular type of, of person. That does it fit all? No. And, and I, I try to explain that to families that I work with and, and, uh, and people that I talk to is that we have a tendency, especially in, in the United States, to look for the magic bullet. We want to look for yeah. the one thing that's going to fix it. And um, I, I can remember talking to a number of parents that, that we'd spend – you know, weeks working with these families and, and through the whole process, the one parent is looking for that one thing that they did that uh -huh. they could change to fix their baby boy. That's, I mean, that was the whole thing. And, and it's not, it's not, there's not one magic bullet. The, the idea is that there are many, many, many doorways. And what we have to do is help find the right one that's going to fit that particular person. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people want guarantees for sure. You know, so <laughs> I would love to do that. We, we get that a lot. People ask us all the time, you know, we, what are the guarantees? And, 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 you know, there are not, I think the, I think the only guarantee we can make in this deal is that we're going to connect you with a group of people that are going to care more about you and your recovery journey than you've ever met before. I think that's the main guarantee because we do have this uh, tremendous world of helpers out there that are just committed to helping others, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, do Glenn, you find I that love you, your... Uh, come on. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, David. Uh, I was just going to ask, um, do, you, uh, do you find that uh, your, um, your, your clients, your treatment center folks, 
are are open to change if you were to are, are, is it do you see it as your role to help them point out some maybe some areas that they need to uh, look at or improve or reexamine are they are they open to that or is that not where is that not even the role that you uh, try to play with some of these folks one of the beautiful things about this industry is like our whole field is predicated on change and that's the whole mm-hmm. basis of it is somebody coming in and making a profound change to the way that their their trajectory in life was headed. And so what I have found in this space is that we are more apt to make adjustments and change in this space than any other space that I work in. Um, I, I try to bring this perspective into other areas that we work in um, because we are so uh, eager for change and, and eager to uh, institute something that works in this field. Um, It it, it is a a challenge at times because uh, people will tend to um, uh, change pretty quickly. And so you have to Mm -hmm. stay on on top of it, but uh, they are definitely um, open to uh, uh, making an adjustment, doing something different, seeing if something will work. Uh, They're more so in this space than any other vertical that I work in. Well, I got to tell you, Glenn, I love your perspective. I love your mindset. I love your attitude. I love your enthusiasm about recovery. Uh, I mean, I obviously I've benefited from recovery and, uh, and, I'm, you know, a big booster myself, but uh, at a time when it's kind of trendy to be critical and cynical, to have a conversation like this one today is uh, just absolutely wonderful. Thank you for taking time to talk with us. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And, and I think that we need to uh, we need to kind of lift the shroud a little bit on um, on recovery, because my goodness, life is so much better today than it ever was before this. And and yeah, it's, it's life. You know, life is hard at times and it's wonderful at times. And and I think being sober to experience all of those different emotions and the ranges that go in between is is just a gift and, and it's something that can be celebrated. I also am really passionate about uh, carrying the, the, the work that we do in this field because day in, day out, I, the workers in this field and the people that are out there on the front lines giving, uh, giving care I, are more committed and, and more invested than in any other place, I, I believe. And, and I think we need to tell those stories because um, it, it, it is a gift that is not normal and, and they do. Um, work extremely hard in the service of others. So I, I appreciate what you guys do here. Well, thank you. All right. All right. Well, listeners, uh, I'm sure you enjoyed that uh, every bit as much as David and I did. Thank you so much, Glenn. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And um, Nate, I think, uh, boy, this uh, this conversation with Glenn Hadley today uh, encapsulates, you know, the positive in our Positive Sobriety uh, title yeah. show because, uh, you know, he has such a great way of accepting and embracing and showing the value in uh, all the diversity of, uh, 
you know, so many uh, avenues to treatment. And uh, I, was, mm-hmm. I was so encouraged uh, by uh, many of the things that he said. You know, I know that um, a lot of times folks are, you know, looking to our podcast to talk about uh, specific ways to stay sober, to get sober, to, you know, uh, live out recovery and all of that. Uh, and I think he demonstrated that in a way that also lets us in on uh, some of the the challenges of this kind of a model uh, of work uh, that uh, that that these folks have to find ways to let people know about what they do and who they are and some of the pitfalls and challenges and things that go along with that, but that everybody doesn't have to be everything to everybody. I guess is the as he put it. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, before we go, uh, well, no, we, have, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't introduce our sponsor at the end. There's a, they're cutting in the middle, aren't they? Rex, just ignore that. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I don't want to restart it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, that certainly was, uh, for me, at least very profitable conversation and, uh, I've got a little bounce in my step today as we head off to the title company to sign some papers and kind of change, yeah. <laughs> change direction. Yeah. Well, I'm not changing direction. We're just picking up speed is what we're doing. Yeah. I have a feeling, I have a feeling, Nate, this is going to be the first of, uh, of a few and I do believe they will come. I mean, Samson has grown to the level that it has in all the places that it exists uh, without fancy marketing. And so right, yeah, I think right, that yeah, you're yeah. going to fill that house up without any trouble. You know, I really yeah. do. So, Okay. Well, I know we've got more great conversations coming up. I look forward to talking with you again this time next week. Uh, until then, listeners, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe by <laughs> Kathy Gifford. 